If you're taking notes, today's message is titled Freedom. Simple as that, just freedom. And I know that this is going to bless your life um, in some area deep down inside. I I think you're going to be able to relate to this for sure. Before we can get started, I kind of want to go over our memory verse. And just to see how we're doing, it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 13. You got about three more weeks to memorize it. Anyone know it yet? Anyone brave enough to stand up and, and quote it? No. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also pervade what, church? Amen. The way of escape. <coughs> That you may be able to endure it. Memorize that. Look at the person next to you say, I'm going to memorize it. Memorize that verse. Know that verse. And we're going to go back into that verse as we end um, today's message. But as we talk about freedom, and, and you're going to see why this verse even makes sense with this message. Well, what is freedom? Well, freedom is this. I want you to hear this. Freedom is liberation from slavery or restraint. Or, or, or freedom from that, or liberation from that power of another, especially over your life, right? Freedom. And when I look at the definition of freedom, it sure does sound like deliverance to me. Just think about what I just read. And because that's what deliverance is. Listen, to be liberated from slavery, from a power of something, something over your life. That, that's freedom. To be freed from that. I looked up some of it in the Greek and all that, and I like one way that it's defined. It's a rescue from bondage or danger. A rescue from bondage or danger. And I look at that word freedom, and I, and I tie it together with, with deliverance. And, and I think about this weekend, and what a great week to share about freedom, about deliverance, because that's what we were celebrating, that's what we're celebrating this weekend. As a nation, because we know that in July 4th, 1776, how many of you forget that, that the year's always like 1790, you always forget. 1776, someone I saw on social media puts, just to think that it started with 13 colonies. Isn't that crazy? 13 colonies claimed their independence from e- England. They were delivered from England's power, from England's control, from England's demands, and eventually they formed the United States. Can we get an amen for that? Amen. And that happened on that July 4th. And then we're talking today on July 5th about this word called freedom. And this is what I pray for today. I pray that today some of us here will be delivered from the power, from the control, and from the demands of that which you continue to find yourself addicted to. That you finally receive freedom. That you would experience this freedom today. How many of you could say amen? The first verse I want to just kind of share as an introduction is Psalm 37, verse 4. And the psalmist says this, I sought the Lord, and he answered, and he delivered. One translation says, and he freed me from all of my fears. I love this, because because the, the psalmist says, I sought him, I went after him, I looked for him. And guess what God does? God loves to do what? God loves to answer. And you're going to see at the end of this message what I mean. He loves to answer the righteous. And as the righteous cry out, Jesus pours out. 
As the righteous cries out, God pours out. And here's the psalmist and he says, I sought the Lord and the Lord came through. How many of you could say amen? Because our God comes through. Our God doesn't fall short. Our God's like, I forgot to write it on the calendar like I do. I fall short and you fall short and we forget things. But we serve a God who does not forget, who writes it down in his heavenly calendar, who it's seared in his heart, whose our names are, are, are seared in his brain, whose hands are written the names of all his creation. I'm telling you that he looks at you and he says, if the righteous cry out, I pour forth. I will pour out. And, and here's the psalmist and he's crying that out, right? And what did he deliver him from? What did he free him from? Man, from all of my fears. How many of you can say, God, that's what I'm praying for today? That you deliver me from fear, that you deliver me and free me from all these things that continue to attack me, to defeat me. And as I was doing this message, I, I knew that it was 4th of July weekend. I knew the crowd was going to be a little bit smaller, mostly. It's like that, but with the people that are here, I said, Man, as people walk in, and you hear me say this a lot, every single person that walks in is different. And we're looking at some of these verses, and we're going to look at some passages. But think about even the person you're sitting next to. You're different than them. They might carry the same last name as you. You might not. But you're different than them, aren't you? The way you think is different. The way you act is different. Your feelings are different, right? Some of them, shh, way too emotional. The other person has no kind of emotion, right? You're just all different. It's good. It's the balance of humanity. If we were all the same, this world would be burned down. But we're all different. Now, one person in here is exactly the same from another. Can I get an amen? Yeah, thank God. I go crazy. You know, people hang out with me and Nancy, like, you guys are totally different. It's like, right. Can you imagine two of me in the same house? It'll be bad. So, we're all different. But, but listen to what I'm going to tell you. Though we are all different, I do know this. That we are all capable of becoming addicted to something. We all might be different, but it doesn't mean that you're not capable of becoming addicted. Just like he, just like she, just like they are. And I know this. You want to know why I know this? I know this because we all struggle and we all wrestle against our flesh each day. What verse did we read last week? If you weren't here, we read Galatians 5.17. And I'll read it again for you just so you can remember. It says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Do you see the fight there? You see the struggle there? There's a spirit man, there's a fleshful man, and they're in constant war. There's a constant battle. There's a constant fight. There's a constant argument between your spirit and your flesh. And you're like, ah, when does this end? When will I get rid of this? So I know that every single person here struggles and wrestles with something. Because we all have a flesh. And we all have that flesh that speaks to us. We all have that flesh that rises up. We all have that flesh that says, hey, that looks pretty good. That tastes pretty good. Hey, let's try it out. And, 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 and then you got to think like, wait a minute. Is this from God? Is this from the spirit and from the word of God? Or is this my flesh talking? And then you got to discern what's talking. And then you got to line it with God's word. And then you got to make a decision out of all these voices that you're hearing. What a crazy world we live in. And what a crazy world our very own bubble is with all our voices. 
with the flesh talking, with the spirit man talking, the spirit of God talking. But he says here, for they're opposed to each other. So I know that there's some here that struggle. And maybe you're like, well, I don't struggle in my flesh. Uh, look, first of all, I don't believe you, but let's keep going. But, <laughs> you know, my flesh is pretty good and I don't struggle. If, well, if it's not your flesh, I'm going to tell you something right now. Then it's spiritual. If it's not your flesh, then it's spiritual. It's a constant struggle against the spiritual forces of darkness. What does Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tell us? Ephesians 6 12 says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Hey, listen, it's either the flesh or it's either the spiritual realm, but there's a battle going on probably somewhere in your life, if you could admit it. If you could admit it, you'd probably say it's true. There is. There is a constant struggle. If it's not the flesh, it's the spiritual and because of the powers that oppose us each day in spiritual warfare, and also because of the addictive nature of our flesh, I know that without a doubt, man, today there's people in here that are struggling. And you know what? It's a real struggle. And I want to talk to your heart for a moment. And I want to talk with all sensitivity to the person that is definitely struggling here and has probably been struggling for a while. It's probably a real struggle what you're going through. You heard me, I think it was two weeks ago when I said it's so real, it's so serious that the person closest to you probably doesn't even know it. Because God forbid you tell that person. I don't want to get into that again because we're going to get really deep into that next week. But, but, but it's probably something serious. For some people maybe here, you're open. And you're open about your struggle and you've shared it with someone else or you've shared it with others. Maybe you've shared it with everyone. And, and this is what I'm struggling with and this is what I'm hurting with. And people are helping you, supporting you and lifting you up and that's good. But for maybe for many of you here, it's a secret struggle. It's a secret addiction that you just can't share. And what are some of the reasons why you can't share that secret addiction, that secret struggle? Because of shame, man. If I say this, I'm going to be put to shame, man. People are going to know my closet. People are going to know what's really inside of me. I can't share this with anyone. You know, that's the first lie that the devil gives you. This is the first thing. I know people that some of the greatest, greatest deliverances has happened because they've been able to confide in a brother in the Lord, a sister in the Lord, and they said, I can't hold this anymore. I need to share with you what I struggle with. And from that moment on, they, received, they started to receive healing in their life. I'm going to get into that next week. Let, let me stop. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. That you, you can't open up to this real struggle because of guilt. If I do this, I'm going to be guilty and I'm going to carry this forever. At least, watch this, how many of you thought like this? At least no one knows about it, huh? It's just me and God, but no one else knows. So when I walk into church, God's good, amen, hallelujah. I can worship, I can scream, I can shout, but, but, but it's just me and God that knows. And if I tell someone else, my God, I'm going to feel guilty every time I see them. They're going to know what I'm struggling with and we don't tell no one. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame, like I said. Maybe it's pride. That's a whole other issue there, isn't it? Pride. I'm the, pastor of the, I'm the pastor of this church. I can't let any of you know what I struggle with. Who the heck said? Who said that? Who lied there? Oh, well, I'm the head of my house. I'm never going to be able to tell my wife. Be wise at the same time, like I said, next week, deeper. But how many of you really struggle? And it's deep. Maybe it's because of relationships in your life. I can't. I'm going to lose a relationship. 
I want you to know this, ready? That there is a freedom found through the deliverance power of Jesus Christ to defeat the lies of the flesh that are contrary to the truths of the Spirit. That's a good part for an amen. I'll read it one more time. That through Jesus Christ, there's power of deliverance to defeat the lies of the flesh that are contrary to the truths of the Spirit. I spoke to someone the other day, and they were telling me things that they were going through, and they said, I feel, eh, warning already, I feel like when I walk into the room, everyone sees me, and I'm guilty of this. And I said, stop, brother. I go, don't get confused here. I want you to grab right now what you're feeling, and I don't want you to confuse what you feel to what is truth. You need to allow what is truth to defeat what you're feeling because all the time what you feel is not always truth. Sometimes what you feel is actually a lie. So you need to be very careful that you don't replace it with truth. What you need to do to find the greatest strength that you could ever find is replace everything that you feel with the truth and you start to walk in victory. Be very careful what you believe. Don't listen to the, whoa, whoa, I've always looked up to my dad. I've always looked up to my mom. My grandmother's always told me since I was a little kid. That's fine. But just because they told you, it doesn't mean it's truth. Everyone with me? There is truth, and then there's what people say. There is truth, and then there's what people feel. There is truth, and there's a lot of other things. And sometimes what you feel is truth. And sometimes what other people say is truth. There you go. Back into our crazy world again, our crazy bubble. But, but regardless of this, know this, that when you know the truth, when you know the word of God, when you know what God is saying, man, there's power to defeat all lies of the flesh. Because, the de- listen, false is not greater than truth. Truth always has victory over false. It's like light and darkness. Man. And there is a freedom and there is a deliverance in Christ, listen to this, to defeat the powers of the demonic spiritual realm And listen to what I'm about to tell you. And maybe the demonic spiritual realm has built strongholds in your life that have caused you to think that the manner that you live is okay. Listen to me. Or maybe maybe you feel like, well, it's impossible to break free from this. I'm going to tell you right now, that is a lie. And those are strongholds and Satan and demons and nothing of this dark age has power over the light of Christ. And the truth has the ability... To destroy the manner of living. Hey, hey, come here. How many of you, how many of you used to be obedient in the word of God, obedient in fasting, obedient in prayer, obedient in just being obedient to God? But right now you're just stagnant. You're just wavered. You just are all over the place. I'm telling you right now, hey, it's not okay to remain like that. How many of you could say amen? It's time to get back. It's time to know what the truth says. And I wrote this down. If you open up your heart, I believe that after today that the way you pray will never be the same. The way you worship, the way you read his word, the way you love on others, the way you talk, the way you tell stories, the way you serve, the way you give, that your whole life will be reshaped because of your freedom if you just open up your heart today. How many of you have been set free and you've seen that your life has been totally reshaped because of your freedom in Christ? I know this, that because of my liberty and freedom in Christ, I've become a different person. I've become a different person. I want to go back to that psalm in chapter 37, but I'm going to go down now some verses, and I'm going to read verse 17. It's going to pop up on the screen. And I'm kind of going to get into the meat of today's message now. In Psalm 37, 17, the psalmist goes on to say this. When the righteous 
cry for help. I wasn't lying earlier, you see? When the righteous cry for help, the righteous, when they cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Notice who's crying for help. The what? Yeah. When the righteous cry for help, the, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. You know what? This actually encouraged me because there's righteous that are in trouble. And I'm okay sometimes when I'm in trouble because I have a God who hears me in my trouble. And if this psalmist is saying, hey, I'm righteous, I cry out for help, I'm like, good, I'm not alone in this life. Like there's someone else struggling, there's someone else aching, there's someone else that is battling this flesh and this spirit, there's someone else out there on the same boat as me, in the same waters as me. This is good to know. I mean, I'm not trying to say that misery loves company and all that, but, but it sure is good to know that I'm not alone. And scripture shows me that. And the psalmist says, yeah, man, when the righteous cry out, the, the Lord will hear and the Lord delivers them out of their troubles. And, and, and that word righteous stuck out to me because I heard a message this week about the righteousness of God. And, and the message just, man, blessed my life that, that I'm going to share parts of this message with you today that, that blessed me. And I was writing notes on it and I said, man, I'm going to share some of this stuff to the church. And one of the things that I heard the preacher say was this, that righteousness is what the kingdom of God is made up of. L listen to what I just said. The righteous cry out for help. The, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And, and, and then this preacher said, man, man you, what we don't understand is that righteousness is what the kingdom of God is made up for. And I said, well, is that true? I'm going to read two verses. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, you tell me, you ready? Jesus' very own words. But seek first the kingdom of God and his what, church? Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added to you. Notice, notice what we're seeking. We're seeking the kingdom of God and the word of God, and the righteousness of God. And, and, and what is found in the kingdom of God? The what? Yeah. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is, is kingdom. So Paul writes something very similar. Look, look what Paul says. In chapter 14, verse 17, Paul says this. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, right? How many of you are like, when I get to heaven, bro, I'm going to eat all I can because I'm not going to gain weight. When I get to heaven, I'm going to drink all I can. Whatever, I don't know what your excuse after that. But I'm going to eat, drink, party, and it's going to be a big celebration. And I said, well, Paul says this. For the kingdom of God is not about eating. For the kingdom of God is not about drinking. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is about what? It's, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When, when you enter into the kingdom of God, there is righteousness all around you. It's all righteous. It's not just a big party. It's a kingdom made up of righteousness. You know, I was driving to Key West, my, my cousin's in a very serious state with his cancer, and I went to go visit him this week. And, um, and we, we were able to bless the family with some money as a church, and if you gave, I want to thank you as a family member. And my aunt says, tell the church I say thank you. And um, they're very grateful for the money, and we got them a card, and I signed the card in behalf of the church as the pastor and as their family, and they really were grateful for that. But he's not a good state. My aunt's not a good state. My cousin's wife's not a good state, but... I was over there, and I'm driving down, and I just wanted to say, she said, thank you. And I was with, my mom went with me, and, and I, we drove on a Monday and Friday, the, the pass of same-sex happened and all that. 
And, and as I'm driving, me and my mom were talking about how our country and where our country has gone and all that good stuff, all that bad stuff. And as I'm driving, I said, you know what's amazing, mom? That everything's getting polluted. Everything's getting dark. Everything's happening against God's word. But watch this. But the Lord remains right. The Lord remains righteous. And when everything is dark all around us, where we're headed, it's righteousness that will surround us forever. Like, you know what happens, though? We can't understand that right now. We can't understand that concept living here on earth, that, that there's righteousness all over God. There's righteousness that comes from the throne of God. There's righteousness in heaven. And, and I love uh, this, and I wrote this down. It's this, you get heaven's DNA through righteousness. And I'm going to break that down, and I want to talk to you a little bit about DNA and one of the ways that, that you can find someone's DNA, did you know it's, it's through the saliva nowadays? And, and it's, an, it's amazing because saliva now is a reliable source of DNA for many types of genetic studies. And, and they could grab your saliva, and it's a very interesting thing. And, and research has revealed that, that the saliva, the DNA in the saliva is equivalent, equivalent in quantity and purity to the DNA obtained from blood. That's pretty powerful. That you could grab that DNA from saliva and it's just as powerful as it is from the blood. And that the stability of this saliva DNA is good when proper methods of handling it are employed. And that's pretty interesting. Because you, you've seen probably 48 hours and stuff like that, right? When they, when they grab someone who's a suspect, what do they try to do? They give them a cup of coffee, a cup of water, you want to have a cigarette? And they try to grab that cigarette, they try to grab that coffee, they try to grab that water. And if they could just trace a piece of that, get us some of that saliva, they, they could find the DNA to see if that's the killer or not. And that's what they do in jail when they're questioning you. They, they, they try to have you drink some water or coffee or have a smoke so they could grab some of your saliva to tell whether, whether you're guilty or not. Anything to get a trace of that DNA through your saliva. Isn't that amazing? I'm getting to, oh, what the heck, you just made a left on the message. You know, John chapter 9, I've preached on it, so I don't want to go into it verse by verse today. Uh, but it's very interesting. Remember John chapter 9? Jesus is passing by. You can write that on your notes, John chapter 9. As Jesus is passing with his disciples, he sees a blind man since birth. Now you remember? And as he's passing this blind man, it goes on to tell us in verse 6, well, before, you know the whole conversation. Jesus, why is he blind? Is it because of his mother, his father? Is it because of his own sin? Remember all that? It's for God can be glorified. But in verse 6, something weird happens. How many of you read the story and you're like, this is the weirdest thing ever? The Bible says in verse 6, chapter 9 of John, that he spits. What? Jesus, why would you spit? First off, that's disgusting. My wife hates when I spit. In the morning, you're congested. You've got to spit. And you say, stop spitting. I was like... There's two options, you know? Either I spit or I don't spit. I don't want to leave it. No, I'm sorry, I'm getting very with you guys. But, but it's very, it's, it's, you know, Jesus, why are you spitting, man? Some translations say he spit, made some clay, made some mud. Others don't even mention it, but he spits. And he makes some mud. And he anoints the blind man's eyes. I love that he anoints the blind man's eyes. He doesn't anoint him with oil. Like, we're going to do an altar call, right? Pastor, you got the oil? No way, we're going to spit on everyone, man. Okay. He doesn't get the oil, the oil from Israel, from the olive tree. Like, he, he doesn't do any of that stuff from the olive branches. He, he spits. And from that spit, he, 
He puts it on the man's eyes. And the rest of the story is very interesting because the man gets healed and he's rejoicing and he, he goes into the temple and the religious leaders are so upset. You weren't supposed to get healed, not on this day, not on the Sabbath and all that. And they kick him out of the temple eventually. You're never allowed to come back in here. But Christ finds him later. And we see later on that the man begins to believe he receives salvation in Christ. His life becomes transformed. It's interesting, John chapter 9. There's a man that is healed from an ailment that has conquered him since birth. A stronghold that has affected him since birth. And on that moment, he receives salvation and he receives a transformation which I could only describe as he receives the righteousness in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to make a little turn in today's message as I talk about freedom. And how about I tell you this, that the way out of your addiction, the way to freedom is through righteousness. It's through righteousness. That the way we will ever be set free is if we experience and bask ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. Because, um, now I don't remember if it was Maori or Ali or who it was, but someone was up here this morning. And they said something. And it's part of my notes. I've seen so many people get saved. How many of you have? And, and this happens. Ready? They get saved. And, but as they get saved and they feel this change in their lives, they... They're still, they're still addicted to certain things in their lives. They're saved, but they're still addicted. Maybe this describes some of us in here. They come into the presence of God. They, they come to church. They experience God. They encounter God. But then they go home, and they're still bound. They're still addicted, and those addictions still rule in their lives. Know anyone like that? Man, you come into the presence of God, you might even get prayed for, you might even cry during one of the services. You're moved by the power of God. My God, the word impacted you in such a way. My goodness, you probably even served that church. You encountered God in such a beautiful, you probably walked out of here one day saying, Oof, man, was God there today, right? But then you go home and you're still fighting and you're still cursing and you're still bitter and you're still bound and you're still addicted and you're still struggling after you just encountered God. Come on, how many of you have gone through that? I thought I'm saved. You are. So why is it that when I go home, I'm still battling, I'm still struggling, I'm still aching with this thing? Why is it that I'm still bound and this still rules in my life? These are people that love God. They love God with all of their hearts. But their flesh still rule over their life. I love him, but my flesh always seems to win. And the truth is we, we do all kinds of stuff. And we do all kinds of stuff because we're so desperate that people tell us to do. And even in New Year's, we write New Year's resolutions of how we're going to change some of these addictions. And it does not matter. Because as long as we are bound, it doesn't matter what we do, what we enter, what people tell us, what year it is. We're going to still experience the same outcome until something happens and until we don't experience the deliverance of God in our lives. There's got to get to a point where, you, where we get to a place where you say, God, just deliver me. And what I want us to see today is this, that our freedom 
from the addictions, our freedom from being addicted is through the authority and is through the power of righteousness. What does Paul tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11? Listen to these words. But you, O man of God, you flee these things. Flee these things. Run away from these things. Don't even entertain these things. And what do you pursue? Yeah. Guys, he's talking to a pastor of a church here. Paul is writing to a pastor here. Pastor Tim, flee from those things that could have you addicted again. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Pursue righteousness, he tells them. Again, someone came up here. I think it was Maori this time. And he shared something. He's like, that's in my notes too. Because I just read 1 Timothy 6.11. You know what 1 Timothy 6.10 says? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving. Everyone say craving. You know, I could take that word off right there and put it. It's because of this addiction. He, he's telling Timothy here, the love of money is you're doing good, Timothy. You're becoming successful. The church is growing. There's a lot of funds coming in. But I want you to always remember this, Timothy, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And through this craving, through this addiction, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. How many of you know someone like that? That they're filled with sorrow because they have not gotten this revelation that the love of money and the addiction of that, it's the root of all kinds of evil in their lives. So, so as he's telling this to Timothy, the next verse is, so you man of God, watch this. So you man of God, get away from these things. Flee from these things. Watch, watch, watch. You pursue something different. Not money, not power, not fame. Now what the society is telling you to pursue, you pursue what? Righteousness. This is good as I build up the point that I want to make today. Freedom from addiction, it could be as simple as choosing righteousness. Thinking, living, walking in righteousness. Fleeing from these things, things that can cause you to be addicted and running to righteousness. So watch, the blind man, let's go back to John chapter 9. So the blind man's there, right? And the blind man can now see, he's lost, he's now found, he's saved, he's righteous, delivered. And what had really happened to this blind man? So powerful that all because Christ spit in him his DNA. Jesus spit, anointed his eyes, the man's life becomes transformed. You see, I look at that spit as something more powerful than just spit on his eye. What Jesus actually did there was he spit and the man received Jesus' DNA. And part of Jesus' DNA is righteousness. So when he comes to meet Jesus later on, his life is transformed and he receives salvation. And Christ now places his righteousness in this man. Do you know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21? For our sake, Jesus, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Look what it says next. So that in Jesus we might become, church, say that part. Is it up there? Okay. So in him, I'll be like, wait, five more seconds. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, I want you to read that to yourself right there where you're at. 
for my sake. For my sake, Jesus became sin. After knowing no sin, so that in Jesus I can become righteousness of God. That's a powerful verse. It, Jesus carried our sin so that we could carry his DNA, his righteousness. That's powerful. So the blind man receives it through the spit, but now we've become the righteousness of God through the blood. Jesus now comes to the cross and he carries sin, he sheds blood. And in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. What do I mean? That we take on now his DNA. What DNA? That in Christ, what Christ is made of is nothing but righteousness. Everything about Christ is righteous. Everything about heaven is righteous. So the psalmist goes on and he continues and he says in a later chapter, he says to the Lord, in your righteousness, deliver me. Did you see where the deliverance is found? Lord, my deliverance is found, where church? In your righteousness. In your righteousness, deliver me. My, my freedom, God, is found in your righteousness. Rescue me. Incline your ear to me. Save me. All he needed to say there was, free me. In your righteousness, free me, deliver me. Church, there is freedom through righteousness today. There's authority and there is power because of righteousness today. How many of you could say amen? You guys remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is about to be arrested? He's about to be arrested. He takes three of his disciples with him. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. We've been around the same area where Jesus Christ was walking and got by a tree and began to cry out to the Lord. And he even began to sweat out blood. We've somewhere the same paths that Christ walked. It was such an amazing feeling. And as Jesus is there, it's, it's, such a, it's, it's a powerful thing what happens to Jesus. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's being tempted, right? He's being te- tempted and he's being tempted in the flesh and he even tells God what? Oh Lord, pass this cup from me. If it's possible, pass it away from me. But but Lord, let not my will be done, but let your will be done. He's saying all these things to the Father, right? He's struggling here in the flesh. But right before he goes in, he tells his disciples something powerful in Matthew 26. He looks at his disciples and he says, hey guys, watch here for a little while. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. You know what he tells them next? Watch what he says next. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's powerful. That's powerful. That's Matthew chapter 26. Do you remember way before Matthew 26, Matthew 4? Jesus' ministry is about to start. As his ministry is about to start, in verse 4 it says, So Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil again. The first time we see Jesus being tempted in the flesh. Jesus, the creator of all things, Colossians tells us is in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by Satan in the flesh. We know that, right? Because Satan stands him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, bow down to me, and I'll give you everything that you see here. He's like, no. And he's, he tells him, I'll give you all the power, I'll give you all the money, I'll give you everything, and Jesus comes back with the word of God each time. No. He's tempting his flesh. In verse 11, after, after the devil tried to tempt him with everything he could, look at verse 11, Matthew 4. 
It says, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. See, Jesus was tempted in the flesh, but he was righteous. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. He was righteous. As he was in Matthew 4, he was walking and he was living in the spirit. As a matter of fact, verse 4 says, then Jesus was led up by the what? Not by the flesh. But Jesus was led up by the what? Right. Because we could be led by our flesh, but it's totally different when God leads us in the spirit. So Christ doesn't go to the wilderness to see, let's see what happens now. No, he knew exactly what the spirit of the, come here, you've ever done something so crazy, so drastically, you've ever said something so wild, you've ever reacted in a way that you're like, whoa, I can't believe that just, that just happened because you knew that it had nothing to do with you, that the spirit of God was pushing you to do that and you saw outcome because of that obedience. How many of you have experienced that? Isn't it totally different? So Jesus goes out in the spirit. He's being tempted in the flesh, but he remains righteous. He's living in the spirit. And Jesus in the spirit, he experiences victory. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Where in the flesh, you and I were probably would have experienced defeat. And Jesus doesn't. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You want to know why we want to be led by the Spirit? Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Paul says to the church of Galatia in chapter 5, verse 16, But I say to you, you walk by the what? You walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that's Jesus' two examples of him being tempted. Two examples of his flesh being attacked. And he looks at his disciples in the garden as his second attack comes. And he says to his disciples, watch, pray, lest you also enter into temptation, like I am. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What is he really telling his disciples there? Remain in the spirit. Because why? In the spirit there is power. In the spirit there is authority. But if you act on the flesh, there is weakness. Just this week... Something was said, I said something right back, I went home, and I promise you, you should see the things that happened to me. The whole evening, and even to the next day, I was just filled with conviction. I was like, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, why did I say that? I'm supposed to be a testimony in front of those people, I can't believe that. And, and, and you know where you fail the most at in not being a testimony? Isn't it in front of your very own family? People that know you the most? I'm such an idiot. I'm supposed, to be a, I'm supposed to be a light to my family. And, and instead, look what I just said. Look what I just did. And God is like, you, you acted in the flesh. You idiot. Because there's no way that the Spirit would draw those words out of you. And, and that's just what I've gone through and what I've gone through. And he's telling his disciples here, you remain in the Spirit. Because when you remain in the Spirit, there is a power. There is an authority. But if you remain in the flesh, if you act out on the flesh, there is weakness. So I'm going to go back to Jesus when he's a little kid for a moment to talk about the spirit and talk about righteousness. There's a story in Luke 2 that they go to Jerusalem and Mary and Joseph and their entourage, they leave with the family back home and notice that Jesus is missing. Remember that story? And in Luke 2, they have to go back to the temple and what do they do? They find Jesus sitting down in the temple teaching where all the religious scholars are sitting at. 
And he's asking them questions and he's saying things. And now what's powerful about Luke 2 is this. Watch this. Jesus is only 12 years old. You know what scripture says? That all the religious leaders that were present there, everyone that was there while Jesus was asking questions and saying things, they were all astonished. They were amazed at the young man. That's powerful. You're looking about men in their 40s and 50s and 60s and even older. And there's a 12-year-old Jesus there. And he's rocking them. And they're all amazed. And they're all astonished. And they're all wowed by this young 12-year-old Jesus. Amazed at him and how he spoke. Has it ever hit you that when Jesus was in the temple, the things that he was saying was the same exact thing that the other religious leaders have always said in the temple? What made Jesus so different at 12 years old? That was so different from the 80-year-old Pharisee. What made Jesus so different at 12 years old that the 60-year-old Sadducee could not do? What made Jesus so amazing at 12 years old? Why did they get wowed at Jesus at 12 in the temple? That the religious scholar... And as you look at Luke chapter... To this 12-year-old Jesus, there's only one thing because Jesus is saying the same thing as the religious leaders they were speaking day in and day out in the temple. But no one is amazed at them. No one is amazed at the religious leaders. No one is amazed at the Pharisee. But now, on this day, everyone is astonished with young Jesus. And I'm going to tell you why, church. Because Jesus was righteous when the religious leaders were not. See, when Jesus was there at 12, he functioned in the spirit. When the religious leaders that were there functioned in the flesh. So when mom comes back and says, Jesus, where have you been? He's like, mama, do you not know that I'm about my father's business? Hey, mama, don't you ever confuse the physical from what's happening in the spiritual. Remember that what I have with you is physical. Come here. But what I'm doing here with my father is spiritual. And what was wrong is everyone functioned in the flesh. And here's 12-year-old Jesus. And he works it in the spirit. They have their own motives. Jesus is doing things out of righteousness. And everyone is astonished. There's something different. Come here. Have you not gone to one place? Heard one pastor preach? Or you heard one person do an act? Or you spend time with one kind of Christian and then you've gone with another kind of Christian and you said, there's something different about this one than there is with this one because this one has probably tapped into a sense of righteousness that that one over there hasn't probably tapped into. And here's Jesus and everyone's like, what is it about this kid? What is it about this young man? And he functioned and he worked things out in righteousness and in the spirit. And when he gets older, he tells his disciples to be led by the spirit. Because the flesh is weak. And he talks to them many times about righteousness. And listen to what I'm about to tell you. Jesus was never conquered by the flesh, but he was always controlled by the Spirit. Always, at all times. Read the the Gospels. Deliverance, church. And we see it through the life of Christ. Deliverance is when your flesh follows your spirit. That's deliverance. But you know how we live? Our spirit, our spirit follows our flesh. 
wait, you weren't supposed to do that. And we fall, and we continue to be addicted, and we go back to our room, and the Spirit starts talking to us. You weren't supposed to do that. What do we do? Oh, God, forgive me. But when you experience deliverance, the Spirit doesn't follow the flesh. When you experience deliverance, when you experience true freedom, now the flesh follows the Spirit. Spirit, whatever you tell me to do, man. And it's in line with the Spirit. And, and, and that's why he was telling disciples, hey, listen, the Spirit is willing, but always remember this, the flesh is what? Weak. So church, you don't make the flesh stronger than what it already is. Because it's your weakness already. It's already got strength over you. So what do you put strength into? What do you build? Where is your freedom? Jesus says, the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. And deliverance is when that flesh follows the leading of the Spirit. And the only way that true freedom of that flesh following the Spirit will ever come to pass in our lives, the only way, if it comes through righteousness, and the only righteousness is the righteousness that is attained in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I almost get ready to end here. But in Romans 3.22, it says this, that this righteousness is given. This righteousness is given. Everyone there, write that verse down in your notes. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and you're like, I need to be freed. I, I can't live with this addiction anymore. And I need to experience freedom from all these different things. Watch Romans 3.22. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to who? All who believe. All who believe. Righteousness is given. I'm going to read a verse to you from 1 John and as I read this verse to you, I want you to see deliverance from sin. I want you to see that there's a rescue from your trials, I, an escape from the influencing world that is in total control of evil. Evil controls it. And the only way that we will ever receive freedom, it comes through Christ. Listen to 1 John 5, 19 and 20 as I read it. It says this, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Is that true today? Is that true today? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. You heard me open up about truth today. And we who are in him who is true. It's in his Son, Jesus Christ, for he is the true God and he is eternal life. Deliverance. Deliverance from sin, rescue from trials, escape from this influence of evil in this world only comes through the deliverance, through the truth, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes a letter. And in Galatians 5.1, he's telling the church there's freedom, man. There is liberty, church. There is a deliverance for you, church. That you no longer have to be bound by the rituals of things or by the rituals of your laws. 
In Galatians 5.1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. I love that. You want to know why Christ set you free? For what? For freedom. Not so that you could be bound again. Not so that you could be enslaved again. Not so that you could be tortured again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So you stand firm, therefore, and you do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You you don't get entangled again. You, You don't play with those things again. You don't welcome them again to your life. Because Jesus, if he set you free, he set you free for the sake of freedom, church. So if you leave here every Sunday and you're still addicted and you still haven't been able to love that person and you still haven't been able to get rid of those substances and you still haven't been able to destroy those habits and that darkness, that cloud continues to in here there's light, in here you feel woof, I feel light, but when you walk out my God, darkness surrounds me again, like seriously how much longer will we leave with the same addictions, with the same cloud Paul tells the church, for freedom Christ has set you free. Look what he says in the same chapter, verse 7 and 8. How many can relate to this? He says, you were running the race so well. Who held you back from from following the truth? You were running so well. I love when baptisms come. They, They send me reminders. Remind the team. Remind the team that every time a team of ours gets baptized, like 90% never, they never keep serving the Lord after a few months. They, they all just dwindle off. And it's true, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. And, and as I read this verse, I thought about even the group that just recently got baptized. And, and I said, guys, keep doing good. You're, you're running the race so well. But there comes a point of our lives where lies come and darkness comes and sometimes they hold us back from following this truth. In verse 8, Paul says this, well, that's not God. Watch, watch, church. That thing which's holding you back, it's not God, he says. It's certainly not God. For he's the one who's called you to freedom. Why would he put chains back on you? Why would he put chains back on you? If he died on the cross, righteous, Without sin, he became sin. So he could free you. Why then will he call you back to be bound? We know that our old self has been crucified with him. That the body of sin might be brought to death, to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's Romans 6.6. How many of you believe that verse for your life? been crucified so that my addiction to my sin could be destroyed and I will no longer be enslaved church I remind you of our verse God is faithful and he's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability and today like I shared in week one and week two he provides the way of escape today the message clearly shares with you that the way of escape is found righteousness of his son take the path of righteousness 
He spit on a blind man and the blind man received Jesus' DNA to receive righteousness. But today, just like he spit and poured into that blind man, I know without a shadow of a doubt that he pours out unto you so that you could receive his righteousness, so that you could start living in his freedom. Don't be entangled again. Don't entangle again yourself with the yoke of slavery, but you have been freed in Christ's freedom, in his righteousness, through his death. Yes, physically, he never spit on us, but my goodness, physically, he died on the cross and his blood was shed for us. And that blood is still being poured out. And that freedom is still victorious today. There is victory in that blood. There is victory in the person. There is a righteousness that you and I can decide today to walk in and to function in. And in that righteousness, I walk in the Spirit. In that righteousness, I find myself defeating the flesh. Because righteousness, when I'm going to do wrong, the righteousness in me tells me, God is not in them. The righteousness of God does not approve with the pollution of that world. Come on. For some of you, you've lost that righteousness. You've lost the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That thing that draws you back and says, no. And you continue to be addicted. You continue to live in chains. And nothing in you experiences Today I share what the psalmist says. The psalmist said, For the righteous, for the righteous, cry out for help. The Lord hears them and the Lord delivers them. So here's my prayer Lord, make me righteous. Because in that righteousness, there is a deliverance and there is a ask you to stand with me. I want you to examine your heart. Because Lord, so many times, so many times, Jesus, I've I've tried to do to become right. I've, I've tried to receive certain things so that I could get right. Church, sometimes the only way to get right is to finally decide to do what is right. To finally just come back and say, Lord, pour out your righteousness in me. Because if the righteousness of God is in me, then the sin of my flesh and of this world cannot be in me. So as we close today, if there's anyone here today that you're saying, you know what, that's me. And I need the righteousness of Christ to deliver me from all these things that I find myself addicted to. I'm telling you that the righteousness of Christ is offered to you.